0: All right. I watched this movie like a month and a half ago, so this will be fun.
1: I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I was watching some clips. I've got the stuff open, but it's, you know, it's also a mood movie. So It is, yes. It's not like, yeah, that that twist they have uh, in that key, <laughs> the gunfight in the basement or something of that nature. Mm, yeah. If only, yes. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's what this movie is really missing. <laughs> a good old right. Mexican well, standoff yeah. that's...
1: Yeah. I'll just drop a clip of uh, Brad Pitt in here talking about go. his hatred of basements. Uh, shout out to uh Trilogy and Theory. I bet people if they do follow the Denniston verse and podcasts, they think, Man, he just has random references and it's usually whatever I just recorded for <laughs> on another show. So now I'm talking about <laughs> Inglorious Bastards, because uh, you know, that's coming to Trilogy and Theory this month. Nice. Um uh, what did we what did we talk about in sober cinema? The juror today to me more. I don't think I've got any references for people. None that they would get. I have no <laughs> idea if that's anything has uh remained in pop culture consciousness with that one. Yeah, I don't think that's one of those rewatches that people are like, "Yeah, I got to I got to do my yearly watch of The Juror." Like that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's making the cut. <laughs> I started lamenting. I'm like, "Hey, the numbers are kind of kind of off on this uh Bed of Roses episode." I was ah. like, "Curiously, the sober cinema base as such as they are uh, Really responded to From Dusk Till Dawn That <laughs> That cat downloads But Bed of Roses <laughs> Pass I mean, So our audience are Made up of perverts Which is Yeah That's fine We've I mean They found their own That's <laughs> Yeah All of my emotions Feel the same Feel the same If you don't like Where this is going Look away Look away So what do you think what is going to be the audience? I'm just going to start the episode with that. I'm talking about myself. I like to. As per Welcome usual. Welcome to Offscreen Death. This is the Dennis and Power Hour. This is my choice <laughs> on this this episode. Yeah. And uh on that note, Dave, we're now one proper episode in, 117 minute trailer and <laughs> what what is our audience going to be? Who are, who mm-hmm. who are going to find this and look uh to us and say, "Yes, Dave, Mike, I often think about death uh, because I listen to your podcasts, and I want to die. But before that, I'm going to take some of your advice and cross off these movies uh, before my time here on this this plane passes. Are we going to get some really uh, philosophical customers? <laughs> some morbid some... <laughs> folks. <laughs> Yeah, probably people you don't want at your party. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what, what is the audience for this fucking show?
0: I mean, I think the audience for this show is obviously like any movie podcast, you you're gonna you're gonna need to get like the movie lovers. Like not just people who watch their like five movies a year, but people who are like, hey, I really want to enjoy this art form and kind of expand my horizons, but also in there kind of want a break in the middle of it too like because there are some people who are just gonna watch like oh i gotta you know watch this list this afi list of uh, all these movies i have to watch them all or i have to watch them all in a row uh like idiot like me who did that for you know podcast directed mm. by we we're on that let me just watch them all in order but like getting kind of a taste of both right the people who are into the kind of cinephile movies but also are into watching movies to have a good time right and that's where you come in is so they can have a good, good time i'm gonna hammer that that last nail in the mm. coffin in their off-screen death as as i make them watch you know nine kurosawa movies or something <laughs> and mike comes in and be like uh can we watch uh i don't know can we watch a, a sexual thriller maybe can we <laughs> have things, a good time wild things well, yeah. yeah um yeah
1: <laughs> I am uh, going against the grain in that regard with this week's selection, yes. <laughs> which is from a, uh, a canceled tour. which, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, won't they all be canceled at a certain point uh, as we, we as they stick around long enough? Uh, we haven't got to uh, Chinatown, which I'm sure is we will. On all of the lists they could <laughs> yeah. pull from. And it's one Just, on of the, on the greatest note, movies uh, ever made, so we'll get there. <laughs> did you uh, read the... Uh, the book on the making of Chinatown. Did you get to that? That came out like last year? The no, year from...
0: no, it's 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 definitely on my list of, of books that I need to pick up. Cause I mean, it's, you know, it's like I said, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. And like, just from a script perspective is kind of a, you know, a work of genius. Uh, but, you know, when you got characters like Houston and, um, and Nicholson and Polanski all on the same film set, uh, you know there's some interesting stuff that probably went down there, so definitely something I want to check out.
2: As I settled down to work that
0: first morning,
2: a strange thing occurred.
3: Pick pick I don't know, he, something about him just got to a deeper thing in me. It's, so this was my my big experience with another man, my first one. And I've never really been able to get it out of my mind. I still have fantasies about it, which are sort of bugging me. What do you mean fantasies? Well, sometimes when I'm masturbating or when I'm just, uh, well, sometimes when I'm I'm working, Mm -hmm. um, I find myself thinking about Gilles, and uh, it's not that I'm not attracted to my wife anymore, I mean, I still am, I really am physically, moved by her and other women too but
2: while i'll admit that eavesdropping on the intimate revelations of a psychiatrist's office might be fascinating to some people it was not exactly what i had in mind when i rented the place
3: well um i i don't really have to use them like a piece of pornography
2: I worked hard all day, and the work came very slowly. Beginning a book is always the most difficult part for me, and by late afternoon I'd become tired. I lay my head down and closed my eyes, and I guess I dozed off. I don't know exactly how long I was asleep, but one of the pillows must have slipped down off the vent because I gradually became aware again of a voice. It was a a woman's voice. And it was such an anguished, heart-wrenching sound, that I was totally arrested by its sadness.
3: I just know that I woke up during the middle of the night. And time passed, and there was strange shadows. I began having troubling thoughts about my life. Like, there was something about it not real full of deceptions, but these, these deceptions had become so, so many, and so much a part of me now, that I, I couldn't even tell who I really was, and suddenly I began to perspire. I sat up in bed with my, my heart just pounding, and I looked at my husband next to me, And it was as if he was a stranger. And I turned on the light and woke him up. And I asked him to hold me. And only after a long time did I finally get my bearings. But for one moment earlier, it was as if a curtain had parted. And I could see myself clearly. I was afraid of what I saw. <laughs> and what I had to look forward to. And I wondered I wondered about ending everything.
1: There's a lot of that in my uh my cancelled autour, Autour for Asshole, uh, that we're doing here with Woody Woody Allen's Another Woman. Now I'm uh, already off of the premise and that I'm supposed to uh, <laughs> pick the erotic thrillers, uh-huh. <laughs> the trash. And instead I went with this extraordinarily, very thoughtful, somber film, but I blame you as I do for most things, my lot in life, because you well, I flipped it on really you. Wilder. Which, yeah. I, I, yeah, you I went, I went the fun route. Popcorn <laughs> entertainment. Yeah. However, I am keeping with my premise in that, and, and you've kind of, proved this point in our our conversations when we we previewed this uh you know if you listen to our our episode on the apartment we thank you for sticking with us um I'll try not to repeat ourselves too much here uh and that you had never heard of this this movie so hey. Woody Allen's very famous filmmaker uh infamous now but this is one that because he has such a long list in his filmography there are going to be some that slip through the cracks but this is a far cry and I'm Throwing shade at something I've not seen, but I'm just pulling it out of the air. Uh, the Curse of the Jade Scorpion. Sure. This is not one of those throwaway sort of silly movies of his. This is uh, very serious-minded. It is about, well, I was saying let's pull in the uh, philosophy majors. It's about a philosophy professor mm. who is very comfortable in her life and is taking a sabbatical from work, and she rents out. An apartment. There we go. I bounced off your mm-hmm. fun little frolic that included suicide. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> and stupid <laughs> Where, hats. Yes. In my film. <laughs> stupid hats. <laughs> in my film, we have our lead character who is able to, um, not on purpose, but just through I guess the ventilation uh of this apartment that she's renting out to just work in. So we're also talking about someone in a different tax bracket and sort of elite level that she rents a a space for quiet time. Oh, (laughs) the dream corner space in uh, in New York too. Let me rent a fully furnished apartment just to type at a a desk in there. She can overhear um, what would you these patients uh, that are trying to. You know, get out all of their secrets to a licensed healthcare professional. And our damn main character here is prying on their lives. Mm-hmm. Not on purpose, but she's intrigued by what she hears. And what does she hear, Dave? She hears Mia Farrow talk about her empty existence <laughs> and how basically she has come to the conclusion that life has no meaning. So Jenna roland then starts to question her own sort of place in the world. And mm-hmm. this is someone who, up to this point, we can surmise that she's very comfortable with the choices that she's made. She's very accomplished, mm-hmm. successful. Uh, she believes that she has maybe not the most passionate marriage, but one that uh, has a solid foundation. Yeah, a nice and business just, arrangement marriage. I, <laughs> they figured it out. Well, she's married to Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins, who <laughs> is very vanilla. Right. Not a sex <laughs> king, do. Bilbo. That is... <laughs> I... Look, to shout out to all the fans who have disappointed already, either with my choice of a Woody Allen film or the fact that I'm not going full-on erotic thriller, I will fix this next week. I promise Uh you, I'm going with back-to-back picks, Sex. (laughs) Sex with attractive people coming up. Attractive person being cheated on by an even more attractive man cuckolding him. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Just not this episode. Although there are... Is uh, an element of cheating as the uh, sort of the different friendships that reveal themselves, these uh, possible romances uh, that were put to an end out of, I don't know, decorum, Dave? Yeah, this is not what exactly proper people do. Yep. Um, so this is the first time watched for you. I, I was introduced to this on my War Machine versus War Horse podcast. I don't remember what the theme was. Um, but Ben Zook there, my co-host cohost on 99 from Nine, is a big Woody Allen fan. And he was sort of happy. Like I'm happy to give to you. Here's something you probably have not heard of. Mm-hmm. And what did you think your first experience with this? Just, I mean, it, I'm assuming just a pure sort of blind watch. You didn't get on and watch a YouTube trailer. You didn't read the nope. summary. I'm just assuming you just hit play. No, exactly. You said, you know, we're going to watch another woman. It's on HBO max.
0: I had just subscribed to H- HBO max. So I was like, great. Uh, and immediately kind of put it on. And as, as I think you mentioned in our last episode, it's like one of the few Woody Allen movies with essentially a cold open. Uh, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, lead with a title card, like a Woody Allen film. It's like
1: To trick you. Yeah, even further. Sure.
0: Uh, so um, you had mentioned that it's not one of his throwaway movies of which, you know, let's be honest, there are many because the man, whether you like him or hate him, he works a lot um it's the guy makes like a movie a year so you're gonna have you're gonna have some stinkers in there it's just it's just gonna happen this not only isn't one of those but it's also not the the stereotype you think of when you think of woody allen movie i think people when they think of woody allen movies are thinking of like oh there's always a woody allen stand-in right he's always like you know Hmm. he's you know with some younger woman and it's kind of inappropriate and it's but he's like you know, self-deprecating, so he kind of gets away with it. There's none of that here. Um, this is purely focused on her, um, on Jenna Rowland's character, and it... I've seen probably 15 or 20 uh, Woody Allen movies, and this is probably top five for me. I thought this yeah, was great. I would um, I agree. You know, is it, is it as long-lasting in the cultural lexicon as something like Annie Hall or Manhattan? No. Um... But it's such, it's hard to compare it. the are different, though. Yeah, it's, it's hard to compare it because it's such a different kind of movie. It's very serious. Um, there are funny moments, but it's, I would not call this a comedy uh, in any sense of the word. It's more, as you mentioned, about a woman who probably for years never thought about whether she was happy or not. Didn't even occur to her until she heard someone else's life was empty. Someone else who maybe she thinks like... Especially when she meets her thinks like, Oh, your life isn't awful and then she starts thinking about her own life and how empty it is and the losses that she has suffered as far as her family goes, like who she still talks to and who she doesn't, um, and who she lost contact with, what friendships were like for her when she was younger. I mean, it goes it goes pretty deep in a in a pretty short amount of time. Um, and, you know, I think it's helpful that you have Jenna Rollins here as as your lead character, like I was in like within the first 5 minutes. I'm like, okay, you got you got her doing voiceover and the movie's focused on her. All right, I'm in because I think she's, you know, one of the most gifted actresses of the last of the last 50 years. I think she's incredible. Um and it it takes turns that Woody Allen movies don't usually take because it is very self-serious. Um it is about regret and where we go from here and can we find hope? If we kind of blow up our lives, if everything goes away, can we reset and can we move forward? And I think, you know, very interestingly, because the movie is very, it's very negative for a lot of the runtime. Um, and surprisingly, by the end, though, it is one of his more hopeful films as far as human nature goes and and the future goes. And I was kind of stunned by this. Like, honestly, If you hadn't told me this was a Woody Allen movie, I'm not sure that I would have known. Um, There's some stuff in there. It's got the New York stuff. Some of the dialogue has hints, but it's not like a lot of Woody Allen movies are kind of mockeries of themselves at this point. Like you're Mm. like, okay, I can see this a mile away. And this stands out as being very, very
4: different. Hey, look at me once in a while. I'm your wife, not her. Huh? I mean, you've been hanging on her everywhere since we sat down. Oh, you're embarrassing me. My husband uh, is very impressed by certain things which I apparently cannot give him. Claire, no, take it easy. What do you deny he's been looking into your eyes uh, for over an hour? I don't think that you heard one word that I said. You're a little drunk. You'd rather be <laughs> alone with her? Why don't you just say... Hey, st- now just stop it. This is foolish. We're just having a nice chat. Don't, don't do that. Don't play so innocent with me. This will be the first time it's happened. Stop this.
2: What does that mean?
4: Let's go, Claire. I'm sorry, We've been in this situation before, where you? So innocently wound up causing me to doubt my whole life.
2: Claire, you're being awfully theatrical.
4: I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't just drift apart, Mary, and I withdrew. You're not talking about
2: David. And you do know. I know I never had the slightest interest in it. But you knew how much I cared for him. I never had anything to do with him, and I never gave him a shred of encouragement. Yes.
4: That's not true. Your conversations were full of subtle flirtations, full of meaningful little looks and little gambits designed to seduce. Him. That's so untrue. And you've held that against me. He couldn't see anything except how infatuated he was with you. We never spent a single moment alone. I never had anything to do with it. And I say that you seduced him. You just you turned it on whenever he was around. Maybe maybe you didn't even know that you were doing it.
3: Claire, let's get off
4: the subject. You must have seemed very bland to him after he met you. Oh, this is nonsense. I mean, to have backed off of a close friendship because of some fantasy? sure I brought it on myself. I was so proud of you. Mm-hmm. You were my best friend. You were so witty and so quick and i was so naive of course you would want david to fall for you he was exceptional but i never accepted any of his overtures i told him he was going with you and it was out of the question but by that time you had what you wanted that's
2: absurd
3: i really
4: believe that you may not have realized
2: what you were doing this is outrageous you should never drink i swear to you it was never in my not consciously
4: or subconsciously just or think any
1: other way. Think about it. sometime. You should be the actress. Well, he, you know, unfortunately, given his personal life um, and, and, and the reaction to to that. I, I mean, I, I should say, I guess, his uh, family life uh, in particular. <laughs> yes. Because um, I, I don't know. I don't know of other situations as far as that uh, he's had um, negative interactions uh, off a of film set. Other, other than that particular thing, which is a big one. I mean, that's you know not talking around it, but also not directly confronting it every time we're bring up a Woody Allen film. Mm-hmm. But I'm introducing that because the unfortunate aspect of that all is that he um, either writes, directs, or both women very well. He does. Um, which, you know, and he... I, I, I lean more into the, the writing aspect of it because what I, I have read about him, is his directing is more in the casting And then in the hopes that he got that right, Uh, very hands off, (laughs) uh, just kind of come in, do your job, uh, hired you for a reason. (laughs) And so he writes very interesting women. Uh, Kate Blanchett, I think, is the last actress to win an Oscar for one of his roles. But I feel Uh like he's had uh, a few that have gone to that. And here with with Rollins in particular, she has a very interesting she has a very interesting part that could be. It could be very bland. I mean, it's it would put it in a different genre, but in particular in the rom-com genre, which you probably expected, you bastard, that I would I would lead with that. But uh-huh. there you go again with the apartment. So, you know, cutting <laughs> my legs out from under me. Uh, oftentimes, it's a staple in a rom-com um, that a very successful, accomplished woman, uh, her personal life is a mess, her love life is a mess. It's It's a well-known trope that sure. I think... Even if you appreciate the genre, you kind of wince and then hope just to make the best of it with the, you know, the silly bits and the romance. You have a little bit of that here, but what I found most interesting is even though there are confrontations, like I hinted at the, um, the lack of passion in the bedroom that she shares with Ian Holm, when she, that comes to mind and she just is direct about it. Uh She's very direct and one could maybe say cold. Uh, I would say she's a problem solver, which I found very hot. <laughs> just <laughs> Let's just attack this. <laughs> okay. okay. Get out in front of it. Um, not beat around the bush here. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, let's do it on the fucking floor. What would be wrong with that? Uh, but what I found most interesting about the movie is, even though there are some of those uh, challenges to other characters in her life, and you have one where uh, a previous friend she runs into Whew. who... That scene uh, is rough. Has been waiting. <laughs> has been loading the gun. Yes. Uh, not literal gun. There's, I don't want to mislead on HBO Max. <laughs> There's a gunfight uh, in a basement as we started this conversation. Mm. But they are in a tavern, and um, she has fallen out with this woman, and her friend, this actress, has very good reasons, has been personally slighted uh, because she feels that Rowan's character this manages to somehow stay above the fray uh while put planting little seeds of doubt in those closest to her or uh maybe a little seeds of judgment in them she has uh never seemed to respect uh her brother, but a lot of these conversations like that one take place in her own mind uh-huh. she doesn't have the ability there it's either a dream or it's just like a daydream where she just kind of lets her mind wander. And suddenly you drift into this, uh, almost fantastical setting. And one, one sequence in particular, uh, is her, uh, watching her life kind of as a stage play with characters that we've seen throughout the film. And I think (laughs) that's why this is playing into, all right, Mike, I'm going to task myself with, (coughs) with selecting films that were not initially well-received here is the Washington Post uh, review for this that is a I guess a giant splat on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, here's the pull quote that they used. Uh-oh. uh Rita Kempley says, once again, Alan has mistaken unfunny for serious filling the breath of immortality on his shoulder, which is <laughs> I think basically a way of saying stop being so fucking pompous, get back to telling jokes, get back to bananas. <laughs> Funny man. Like, <laughs> uh, I think that's Fair stylistically, and I, I wanted to ask you if you did you ever feel that maybe his uh, director's hat started to make you uneasy as far as how high minded and dreamy this was getting, or or were you taken away with the performance so much that you didn't mind that you felt like this is a one sided conversation with one person doing all the talking with these these memories and her own sort of self doubt creeping in. Oh yeah, I didn't mind it at all. Actually, um, I thought
0: I thought it was just kind of full of good choices including there's a there's a sequence where she's kind of reliving a conversation with her brother um and i love the choice of not changing the actress not using makeup not just having her appear as she does now because this is a one-sided conversation this movie is almost wholly internal um and you mentioned cold and that was that was something i was thinking while i was watching the movie is that she she is cold on the surface like yeah she's a problem solver i like i like that kind of spin on it but but she is you know she is a little distant from everyone and the journey of that character is finding that warmth underneath and that if if she wasn't cold from the beginning then i I don't think the movie works. I don't think there's any discovery because that is what she's discovering by the end of this is that she does have a heart and that she does care and that she does want to be wanted and want to connect with people like that. That whole like having sex on the floor conversation is it's probably the funniest part of the movie to me because they're having this conversation about fucking on the floor, but they're having it very intellectually and very like, well, Mm -hmm. would you want me to? Do you want to want me to? Like it's like okay guys. Like it's fucking you just you do it. It's not you don't have to have this big discussion about it. But the the fact that it is um that it is theatrical in in the way it kind of has this self discovery. I think it's very pointed. I think this is not This is not something that was a mistake. You know, she has regrets over this friendship. This friendship became, this friend became an actor and now she is reliving kind of her mistakes and the things that went wrong in her life on the stage for everyone to see. And for someone who is that private, I mean, you don't get much more private than like a philosophy professor. Like this is very distant and not public in any way. And even when she goes to work on her, on her tome, on her giant book, she like locks herself away from her family, from her friends, no interruptions, just focused, but she's constantly intruded upon by emptiness, uh, by, by this discussion of this patient and how bad her life is and how, how rough she feels like she has it. So in turn, she can't ignore it either. And I think it's kind of like, honestly, like, it's kind of brilliant. Like I'm low to like give a lot of compliments to Woody Allen because like, eh, you know, it's not the safest thing to do at this point, but this is like Direct direction wise, like I'll take this over Annie Hall in Manhattan. Like I think he's making mm, okay, he's making strong choices here. Like you had mentioned in those movies, especially like you can't okay, I cast Diane Keaton. I'm going to let her Diane Keaton it up all over the place and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a lot more control here um, and is making a lot more specific choices. That's not to take anything away from rolands because. To, to give this performance that is it turns very cold and it turns very open is, is pretty impressive stuff. Like she does a lot of great work here, but he also puts her in a position to succeed throughout this entire film.
1: There's, you know, on that note, a certain degree of trust uh, that mm-hmm. I I could see someone turning against maybe some prior uh, Alan work um maybe having a setting the expectation for this one on the other hand i do feel like this came out in 1988 uh-huh. that there was still a string in the mid-80s of him uh-huh. veering a little bit more serious in his relationships that not everything was building to a gag right. or a punchline so uh maybe it's just <laughs> maybe this is the one that just pushed uh this particular washington post critic too right. far like, That's enough it. <laughs> i'm done
0: here i mean the only
1: thing the only thing that threw me off in this movie because like you know
0: you have the cold open and then it's like a woody allen movie and then i realized like oh god it's a woody allen movie with mia farrow like oh boy mm. this is going to be rough but there's like none of that stuff it doesn't delve into the stereotypes of his career like a lot of his earlier films did
1: we were talking about uh the purple rose of cairo over on trilogy and theory just this morning now this this episode depending on how lazy i am Uh, should be out before then so i'll spoil that slightly in that uh here i am doing two woody allen movies uh, on podcasts (laughs) and uh in that one i said you know i've never much cared for mia Farrell. just don't like her on screen and the reason (laughs) which i i knew i'm like all right this is dangerous territory yes um (laughs) And this would not be the the finest because uh, I I really came to uh, adore her in the Purple Rose of Cairo. Oh, she's great there. Uh, mm-hmm. Here, um, she I mean she's often playing fragility. Yes, like she is like a raw nerve on screen, and I find that uh, you know if I'm digging the uh, character of Marion played by Rollins as being uh, a sex goddess because she's <laughs> logically going to go through how we're going to have sex on the floor. Uh, Pharaoh's almost open wound uh, sort of like on the verge of a breakdown thing, which she's very good at, uh, yeah. is obviously very disconcerting to me, even yes. if someone's just watching her on the screen. <laughs> so I think why I took to this premise so much is I do find myself more in the Marian camp where I don't really understand what Mia Pharaoh's character of hope is going through. And I don't think that Marion does either. Right. I think it's just almost a curiosity uh, that this woman can be that unrestrained uh-huh. uh, and sort of honest about her own self-doubt and her own failings in life. Because um, I, I I see Marion as kind of one of those uh, really like boorish kind of Republican types, uh-huh. uh, like the ones that... Uh, say, you know, don't, don't let poverty dictate your life because it, it, it's, yeah. it comes across mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. where she has a lot of blame that she assigns to, um, her ex-husband, uh, who was a man in a advantageous position, a, a maybe inappropriate position of power when their relationship, uh, started, uh, which is also interesting. <laughs> maybe. To Ellen. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this. Um, yeah. But with her brother in particular, who she views as a failure and seems like it seems like the end result is all she will judge um, the sort of the scope of their life on is like, well, you must have made poor decisions right. to get to that point. Um, and in some degree, she's she's lying to herself because while she may be successful in one field, she clearly starts to realize that she's unhappy. But what I think most important is not that her and Hope here, played by Mia Farrow. Uh, go off like Thelma and Louise. And it's like, this <laughs> This woman has shown me the ways. You know, this is, I've, I've got to completely do 180 in my life, which uh, in fairness, I think more often than not in film happens to men. The sort of midlife crisis, yep. uh, the American beauty ism, where <laughs> it becomes thrilling to see a man become uh, reprehensibly irresponsible. Right. Become <laughs> like, a child for two it. hours. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was the theme of 1999 with office space and Fight Club, all of that. We, we think, oh, this is delightful and fun. Um, I do think that it's scary when a woman uh, sort of announces in that way. I think that's why when I mentioned Thelma and Louise, it was like for a few months it was a controversial film. Yeah, because it it's like, what? What are these women doing? This and why are they seen as heroes? Why is this a mainstream hit? Another woman is not that. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure if anyone has gotten this far, they're like, Jesus Christ, Mike, what are you? What are you picking this whole? <laughs> like, what does it all mean? Type thing. But I like that hope. While that conversation, that honesty um, that our main character sort of oversteps on by listening in, it's not like she somehow can guide Marion in a way. Or Marion can guide Hope. Like, oh, we're coming at it from two different angles, but we can better each other. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if Marion is necessarily better off. I think she's in a more honest place. Hmm. But you know, where we leave her, at least in her own head, she's thinking, I should have gone with Gene Hackman. And she's also thinking in, her, in that conversation that, once again, is in her head, that he regrets that he can be happy, but he still regrets that they didn't fulfill whatever possibility of a life they could have together.
4: Do you ever think of making love to me on the living room floor?
1: Would you want me to?
4: I don't know. Would you want to? Well,
3: somehow I've never seen you as a hardwood floor type.
4: No. That's a pretty insulting thing to say. I think it's you that's the type not to make love anywhere but in the bedroom with all the lights out.
3: Well, now who's being insulting?
4: I suppose that you're going to take off all of your clothes now and go to bed.
3: Well, it's 1 a.m.
4: Look, let's just try being honest with one another. There's not much passion left in this marriage anymore, is there? Is there not? I haven't noticed. Oh, don't be so aloof. I'm trying to tell you something. It's not erotic anymore. Well, was it ever? Was it not?
3: Marion, I'm tired.
4: We rarely sleep together anymore. And when we do, it's by the book. It's the same routine. I know exactly what you're going to do and in what order.
3: Yeah, it's true. We are both creatures of routine. Could we go to sleep? It's late. And could you please try not to uh, toss and talk in your sleep? Last night you kept saying Larry. I assume you're having some kind of dream about Larry Lewis.
2: At the mention of Larry Lewis's name, I experienced odd feelings of melancholy and longing. I wanted to weep in the dream. But the tears wouldn't come. Are you married?
4: Yes. You knew I got married.
2: Oh yes. Yes, I had heard that. Harry wants us to move
4: back to New York like that. Uh, I don't we've had such a nice time in Santa Fe. Are you happy? I'm happy. I don't I leave you, too? I'm sure you have a lot to talk about.
2: I see your byline now and then in magazines. Did you read my novel? I have it, but I, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't read it yet. You inspired one of the characters. Oh? I hope you weren't too rough on me. I wrote of you with great love. Your wife is lovely. Yes, I met her right after you said goodbye to me. Her name is Jennifer. She's also quite a good writer. Do you have any children? Yes. We have a daughter. It's been the greatest, most beautiful experience of my life. Do you ever think of me? Do you ever think of me? Once in a while. I hope you're happy with Ken. I ran into him on the street not too long ago. He must have told you. I think of you more than once in a while. But without a regret, please. Don't tell me you have any regret. Darling,
4: you must come in here for a moment. I want to show you a beautiful sunset.
2: Which character in your novel did I inspire?
4: Helenka. I gave you a beautiful name, Helinka. I described our times together. You recognize
1: it. But I have to go now. My wife needs me. So, I'm interested, you said, do you think that it kind of resolves in a more like a happier place is that coming from your your background as a mental health professional that getting to that honest place is inherently better than the lie that she was living with Bilbo Baggins not I mean, fucking on the floor? <laughs> I'm gonna keep going back to that yes. I'm gonna keep trying to sex this thing up <laughs>
0: um it's funny because you know right before you started talking I was like man she just should have stayed with Gene Hackman uh things would have been a lot better wow That's... okay <laughs> <laughs> Fashion, that's what you need. Um, I don't think it's inherently better, but I think the way that she is going about it is better because she's lived her her entire life, quote-unquote, the right way. Made all the right choices, been with the right people, done all the right things, and she's still unhappy. She's still sad. So, like, why not try radical honesty at that point? Why not try to fix you know, the relationships that have gone awry and to try something new. So the the direction that she's heading, I think, is, is pretty adv- advantageous because she's still in a position where, you know, she's still got a job, she's still doing well, she's still got connections, and yet she's ready to be her own person. And that is, talk about scary and powerful, that's scary and powerful, like someone with with those kind of connections and willing to be honest about who she is.
1: I'm glad you, you mentioned scary because you know, the film ends and this is maybe why that particular view uh, was accusing Alan of being a bit heavy handed Mia Farrow playing a character called hope, hope and the yeah. film ends with <laughs> Marion feeling hopeful for the first time in life, like in a, in a voiceover in a monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I had the thought that to be so comfortable with yourself, uh, either professionally, personally, or maybe all of it, uh, almost removes the ability to be hopeful mm-hmm. about things, to be looking ahead to the future, because everything is settled. You made it. Everything's taken care of. Yep. So what, what, what are you aspiring to? Uh, what are you leaving to chance? Fucking and on the she's... floor.
0: That's the aspiration. That should be the aspiration.
1: <laughs> I feel like you know i'm gonna shortchange another woman which i i do think is uh, genuinely great but by, yeah. by saying that's a great way to transition to my, my choice for next week <laughs> hey. and time to wrap up the show but it's unfaithful diane lane getting her fuck on yes <laughs> we're back baby
0: <laughs> mike is finally back so that means i have to research and find i guess uh a sexual uh thriller or a movie about infidelity uh for when we when we come back after we do unfaithful so i'm gonna
1: I mean sure they're around. Let me look at the calendar because if I you know, if I have this right, if we've got our you know, our, our sort of uh uh triple A uh time getting our at bats in and we're gonna try to go <laughs> through this proper and start releasing more episodes. Your episode would release on Valentine's Day, so Yeah, baby. Be careful. <laughs> be careful on what how far you're going with the cheating. I'm gonna ruin it for everybody. Too. I
0: can't wait. <laughs> I'm single, so you'll have to feel pain. That is.
1: <laughs> we lost the listeners with uh, Woody Allen. Our selection here, but that's fine. It's
0: but next week's going to be great on Facebook. I'm excited because I've never seen it. I'm excited to check this out. So it's
1: going to be great. You'll remain excited. Throughout. <laughs> 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 it is very personal. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> See you next week, listeners. (laughs) Thank God this is not on YouTube.
2: Yes.